Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, we feature a new book about one of the most iconic houses in the world, the Stahlhaus, a modernist icon. I also had the pleasure to speak with Arjun Chada from Get Familiar magazine, a title that explores the intersection between hip-hop culture and the world around us. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. To start the show, we head to Los Angeles. I had the pleasure to visit this incredible modernist house named the Stahlhaus back in 2018. I still feel this visit vividly in my mind. A new book telling the story of the house is a delight, featuring exclusive pictures. For that, I had the pleasure to speak with siblings Sherry Stahl Gronwald and Bruce Stahl who lived in the house, and also the writer, King Cross. What a pleasure to have you all here uh, in the Zoom chat here for The Stack uh, to talk about this amazing house that I had the pleasure to visit. Uh, and of course, Sherry and Bruce, you have a very close experience with the house, and I, I want to hear from you in a bit. But, but Ken, tell us a bit more about your involvement with this project. What did you know about the house? How, how, how did you get involved with it? I hope you find it endearing that I actually had never heard of the house when Sherry first approached me uh, at least two years ago. Um, she found me through a fellow writer in Boise. We both live in Boise, Idaho, which is not anywhere near Hollywood and the house. And she was just looking for a good storyteller. And I had a track record of um, telling good stories. And often that means, you know, learning a lot about something new. And so when I um, came to the project, I knew very little, but I had no preconceptions and did a lot of research and with um, Sherry and Bruce and a lot of historians and a lot of books and a lot of experts. I came to um, a growing appreciation and respect for the case study house program and this incredible house. And I think a lot of people are in love with the house. And 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 Cheryl, just just want to ask you. Of course, you grew up also uh, in the house. One thing I like about it, reading a bit more about the story of your family, it was it was a house to have fun as well. Even though it's such an iconic house, I mean. But I think your parents kind of encouraged you guys to jump all over the pool. It was quite. It was a house more for fun than just kind of to be just as a design piece, if you know what I mean, right? Well, it was, uh, you know, my mother and father had uh, designed and kind of thought out this house. And I think they actually created it based on the size of the lot, but also what was important to them with a new family coming up. Because Bruce was already born and I was, oh, I, I came about in March 1960 when the house was working on getting completed. And I think their, their design was more family. It wasn't museum-like. It was, how can we have fun? My mother loved to entertain. She wanted the kitchen in a particular area where she didn't miss a thing. A lot of times people that cook and entertain and they're kind of closed off in a kitchen where they don't get to appreciate everything going on around them. So she wanted a kitchen that she can enjoy everybody that comes to visit. And it turns out that the kitchen ended up being the major hub when everybody would come visit. Everybody would gravitate to the kitchen and hang out with mom while she was cooking and entertaining. The pool was 
was wonderful. To add the pool in at the end was just what us kids needed. We just, we lived in that pool and it was just fantastic. And our childhood, we have great memories of our childhood, jumping off the roof, climbing down the cliffs, what we used to call going on safari, playing down in the oleanders and the dirt, because up there, there's not a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of dirt because of the concrete. And so we would find the dirt and we would definitely play. It was wonderful to have family come up. That was a big thing for my for our family was having everybody come up, the aunts and uncles, the cousins. Family would come from St. Louis where my dad was from and he, you know, they would entertain and swim. And we were constantly, our lives revolved around the pool, the pool in the kitchen. Good places to be, in my opinion. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Bruce, I have a question for you now. What's your involvement with the house these days? I mean, do you still go there quite often? I mean, tell us a bit more about that. Well, I'm the hands-on guy in anyway, so anything that takes place at the house, I have to be up there to open up or oversee and stuff like that. But I'm up there probably three, two to three times a week. I usually finish my day up there every Monday and Thursday, make sure everything is in shape, make sure the house is supplied with stuff. And uh, that's my role. And um, I get to see it a lot. <laughs> I guess the area have changed so much since you guys were raised there as kids because um, before it wasn't all built up as it is today, right? Well, the city was vast. The way the city has grown is it's grown up in height. You know, downtown LA, the tallest building when I was a kid was City Hall. And now you can barely see City Hall because it's so small compared to the other skyscrapers. And then since then, we've, you know, Century City has gone up, which is to our west of the house. If you look, if you look out towards the east, you'll see downtown. If you look towards the west, you'll see Century City. And Ken, I just want to bring you over here. Tell us about the book itself. I mean, a lot of people are interested in this style house. How, how the book looks like? Tell us, I mean, there's incredible pictures there. Some of them i never seen before, I have to say, uh, because, you know, I know some of the more iconic imagery from the house. Uh, but tell us kind of the newer things that we can see in the book as well. Absolutely. Well, the book is a beautiful art book. So our publisher, Chronicle Chroma, is known for doing just beautifully produced art books that are, you know, worthy of your coffee table. But this is one that it's the perfect size to read. And so it's not a big coffee table book where you, you can't lift it. And it has a wonderful narrative as well as pictures that have never been published before. So Bruce and Sherry have been um, saving from their family archives, many photos, um, historic photos from their childhood that really show the house, a side of the house that I think most people have never seen before. Um, you know, in my research, I learned that this house has been photographed more than Falling Water by Frank Lloyd Wright, which is pretty amazing because that's a very famous house. But what you'll see in this book are pictures of Bruce and Sherry jumping off the roof, pictures of their parents, you know, decorating for Christmas. Carlotta would um, make a little floating pontoon for the pool with a, uh, a little pint-sized Santa and a Christmas tree. They have just 
pictures that show the house being lived in as a home. And that really is what the book is about. And the story that I think has not really been told about the Stall House is that it was a real family's home. It is, you know, we say like, this is the, um, the story of a blue collar family with a white collar dream house. And that's what Bruce said early on in our conversations. And I was like, that's perfect. Because I think most people believe or assume that the Stall House is occupied by someone rich and famous. But this was an ordinary family who worked really, really hard to afford to build it and had to jump through a lot of hoops just to get it approved by City Hall. And then even living in it, they they had to work really hard. They they actually had to move out at some point because Stahl lost his job, and but they wouldn't give it up. They fought really hard to get their way back in. So it's just a great narrative about a house. And I, I liken it to like, if any house deserves its own biography, it's this house. So it's the story of the house and the family that made it. And Sherry and Bruce, I mean, besides, of course, the swimming pool, which is, I think, is just brilliant. Uh, there's also some elements in the house that are quite surprising. I mean, if I can remember, I think there's a, even the, the toilet, it's quite colorful. I mean, it's something that, again, many people don't know, and, and it's quite, it's surprising. There's a lot of surprising elements to the house in a way, right? What was your most surprising element? I think the toilet was one of them, for sure. The what? <laughs> I, I think, was it the toilet that is quite yellow, full of kind of, it was quite a busy kind of, I really like it actually. You mean the, the bathroom? The bathroom, yeah, so sorry, oh, yeah. Oh, so the guest bathroom, yes. yes. My mom, back when sh when green shag carpet and plants were, were the thing to have, she started uh, decorating that little bathroom with wallpaper that would match the plants and the green. And then she would um, embroider all these pictures or embroider these pictures of houseplants so she pasted all over the bathroom um my dad put up the the square mirrors to make it appear a little bit larger because it's very small but we haven't changed it just because that is the last little bit of my mother in that house you know so it's like it's really it's heartbreaking to think that we would take that down and renovate it um, there's a part of me that says, yes, we probably should, but then there's other part, like, I don't want to miss mom. I mean, I walk in there and I think of her immediately. Yeah, most people want us to keep it. So I think if we were to do anything to that bathroom is refurbish it as is and keep it. I don't think you should change anything. I really like it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing that I would like to ask, how, how was actually the swimming pool added? To the whole design because it's quite big actually in comparison to the house that i think that was quite unique at the time as well like i'd love to know more about that the house was planned but the pool was a distant um project and it turns out that they were only able to find one bank to lend in the money for the house but their stipulation was that you had to put in a pool in order for us to give you the loan and they also said that you had to find other funding for the pool. So that's how the pool got put in at the same time as the house got built. Yeah, it was just one of those where it's like, oh, good, good, good. We found funding for the house, you know? And then so they were so excited about actually getting the funding for that. They went down, but there were stipulations. They agreed to the loan, but you have to put in a pool. You have to put in a two, you know, a two car carport. You know, you had to make sure that there was a diving board and, but 
we're not going to fund the pool. We'll fund the house, but not the pool. So it's like you kind of get on this high and then all of a sudden you get let down. It's like, oh no, now we got to go find another lender just for the pool. So it's these little obstacles along the way, actually big obstacles along the way that showed their perseverance in getting this house built and the pool done and getting it ready for Arts and Architecture magazine. Talking about magazines, one thing that I'm curious, of course, I'm sure Hollywood is quite interested in the house for all sorts of shoots and kind of the fashion world as well. Do you still have a lot of requests for this type of things? We do. We do get a lot of requests. It's actually, it's funny in the uh, commercial side of the business, it's kind of feast or famine. There's highs and lows. It's not a consistent. So there could be times where I get inundated with, uh, you know, every week someone wants to shoot at the house and then we get all that going. And then, you know, a couple months later, it's quiet. And then it peaks, it starts peaking up again. I think as seasons approach, when fashion starts changing, then it's time to go out and reshoot for a lookbook and or for their website or a catalog. So we are still getting requests, yes, for movies and and photo shoots, yes, commercials. One of my favorite stories about this house from Bruce and Sherry is they grew up jumping off the roof into the pool as little kids, as little, little kids. Wow. And um, their grandfather, the Carlotta's father, was a coin, a rare coin dealer, and he would throw a handful of coins into the pool, some of them quite valuable, and the kids would die for them. But when Bruce and Sherry asked me to write their book, they said, if you want to write this book and you want to understand what it was like growing up in our house, you have to jump off the roof into the pool. <laughs> <laughs> so they put a ladder and we got up there and it was um, a once in a lifetime experience. And I joke that it's the best kind of immersion reporting. <laughs> that was fun. Were there any coins in the swimming pool this time? <laughs> I didn't no! Have, I didn't even need that incentive, no. <laughs> You might not know, too, that they um, they both became really, really good swimmers. And in high school, they were both on the swim team. And I think you both set records, right? Sherry, didn't you set a record as yeah. well? And yeah. Then went on in college to break the world record in the 50-meter freestyle. And the Stahlhaus, the making of a modernist icon, is out now. And if you're in L.A., why not try a visit as well? And now it's time to cover Get Familiar, a Dutch title on the intersection of hip-hop culture and the world around us. Arjun Chada is the creative director and editor-in-chief of this beautiful title that was crowned the European Independent Magazine of the Year in 2021. To find out more about Get Familiar, I spoke with Arjun. Get Familiar is basically, in its essence, a hip-hop magazine, but hip-hop in its broadest sense. So it actually uh, tries to document hip-hop culture. So through it's an interview magazine, so through interviews from people from all sorts of disciplines, from musicians to photographers to politicians to authors, in every story somewhere, the underlying theme is hip-hop. And I use that to, as, as, as the starting point of the conversation. And then I start diving into the bigger social political themes of today, from immigration to sexism, feminism, gentrification, absolutely everything that I feel socially politically is very important. And that to me is also lies at the core of hip hop itself. So I try to bring that side of hip hop to the forefront. And Arjun, I mean, even if you don't like hip hop, I mean, we have to accept that it's so culturally influences so many countries. It's not just the United States, it's the Netherlands, it's Brazil, Egypt. When you look at the music charts, 
local hip hop is so strong, you know? So I think it's important to have a magazine like yours, which is definitely not just like a catalog of the last uh, latest releases, you know, as you say, you go a little bit more in depth. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, a, it, it's a sharp observation because uh, I really try to write everything. Uh, so I do everything myself, but I, I really try to write from perspective. I assume that my reader knows nothing about hip hop. So I create context as I'm writing. So you don't need to know who I'm interviewing. You don't need to know how they're connected to hip hop. Uh, actually, you just need to be culturally in uh, tuned and interested in kind of the broader social political themes. And it should catch on to you. I make it a real point to not only write for the hip hop fans, but to also have it picked up by absolutely everyone so that it remains interesting no matter who you are. I mean, even the people you choose uh, in the magazine, for example, you know, looking at the, at the latest cover. Uh, Danuga, yeah. Yeah, Danuga. I mean, it, it, it's just a surprising cover as well. A very, very beautiful one. Yeah, thanks. I'm really proud of that conversation. So for the people that don't know, Ify Adenuga is the mother of uh, Skepta, Jamie, and Julie Adenuga. Uh, big entertainment names, not only in the UK, but also internationally. So with her, I like, I really, it's a nice example because I spoke to her about her journey from uh, fleeing the Nigerian civil war to London. And we don't actually talk about her kids. We talk about her journey itself. So it's a nice way where hip hop stands somewhere in the foundation of a conversation. We again, talk about kind of the social political themes and choosing her as a cover was a no brainer. I mean, I saw it and I thought how many hip hop magazines or even magazines full stop would dare to put an older woman of color on the cover like that. It's a really nice striking image. And I think it really plays well to the concept of what the magazine does. Absolutely. And of course, you have also names like the RZA as well, which is quite uh, an iconic name of hip hop. Uh, and and, and tell us a bit more, how, how did you choose those, those characters? And were they welcome for, to be on, on your magazine as well? It's difficult. So I spoke to the RZA from the Wu-Tang indeed. I had to hide the little child in myself because I'm a really big Wu-Tang fan. But I pick these stories mainly on kind of the things that at the foundation of everything is my love for hip hop. And I feel that a certain part of kind of the sound and the story that the genre tells is missing, which is kind of the social political aspect of it. And I, I, I try to look at it from a thematic perspective. So uh, this time we're really talking about uh, intergenerational knowledge uh, and uh, inherited knowledge, actually. So hence you have people like Rizzo, who's been around for generations, and Ifi Arunuga, who's basically the mother of someone uh, or mother of Skepta and Jamie. And I think that's really interesting. So that was a really intergenerational conversation. That was also the theme this time around. Last time, for example, in the second issue was really about sexism and feminism within the industry and how that sits together. So you're looking at then, uh, you know, speaking to Kathy Andoli, uh, for example, who's a veteran hip hop journalist. And I try to tack things thematically like that. Uh, and that's the way also how I select the stories. And Arjun, we need to talk about the design of the magazine, which I think is very beautiful. It's a lovely format. And I was even telling you that I like the kind of the material of the cover. But you're telling me that for every issue, you would like a few changes as well, right? But uh, right. I mean, it's incredibly well designed. I mean, do you do that yourself as well? Or do you also have someone that helps you in the design uh, aspect of uh the magazine? So basically, I, uh, I, I, as I was just telling you before this conversation, before the call, um, one thing I really try to do is try to play with people's perception of hip hop, which is why the format itself remains the same, the dimensions. Uh, but I play around every time with the, the presentation. So every time the design's completely different, uh, the fonts, uh, the font pairings and the font choices are completely different. The layout's completely different. And I do that on purpose. So I keep playing with how people perceive hip hop itself. 
uh, to give everyone and every time a new feel like, oh, wait, this, this is also a hip hop magazine. Um, so that's really nice. And I think the, the, the previous issue I did, uh, the, the second issue was very inspired by books. So I wanted it to feel like a book. It was a, a paper choice with really high fabric, uh, really high uh, fiber count. Uh, that was really important to me. And so I play around with it like that. Uh, when it comes to designing, I, I like to say I'm the art director. I have a friend of mine who is a professional designer who does the design himself, but I basically sketch out every single page before. So I art direct absolutely everything. I know exactly what everything looks like and I give it to him. And he comes down as a professional in his free time then and tells me, why are you trying to do this? What are you trying to achieve by doing this? And then through that conversation, I basically also teach myself the rules of design and how that works. So the design really comes from me. I often have a really bold vision and really concrete vision as to what I want. It might be something simple as I want it to look and feel like a book. And I will look at that. And then uh, my friend who then spends one or two nights with me helping me put it in design and making it print ready, he basically challenges me with my thoughts and goes, why are you doing this? Why don't we do it like that? And then we play around with it. But I'd say, like, like I said, I'm not the designer, but I am the art director. So I am the person that absolutely sketches out every single page. That's fantastic, Arjun. And finally, where can people buy actually the magazine? You know, uh, tell us a bit more. Is it is there a lot of stockists in the Netherlands? I know you have some here in the UK as well. Yeah, so uh, Mag Culture and Jeremy stock my store and uh, stock my magazine in, in London. I've actually just uh, started working with uh, RA and Ollie, the distributor. Uh, so he's going to be uh, taking uh, taking care of the, the fact that it's 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 available around the world. So UK is a real important hub. Amsterdam it's always there in Altenheim in Amsterdam, but throughout the world we also have Swedish stockists, Italian stockists, and in the US is something we're entering now, seeing that we have someone like the RZA on the cover from the Wu Tang. So that's something we're going for. But the core of it goes through my web shop, which is actually getfamiliarmag.com, and that's kind of where it all happens. Finally, Arjun, I would like to ask, what, what are you listening hip-hop-wise these days? Any tips you can give it to us, maybe? Wow. Okay, that's a, <laughs> It's a difficult one. <laughs> yeah, it's a real difficult question. I'm myself a really big fan of grime music, so I listen to a fair amount of grime. Uh, it's right now heavy in rotation, but uh, I think while making this issue might be an interesting, and, and I, I keep a track of what I'm listening to while I'm making it because I find it interesting. Um, I've been listening to a lot of... Uh, old soul music from the 70s actually so from Stax records uh, so uh, people like Isaac Hayes have been really high on rotation with me right now and uh, for, for the people that know Wu-Tang has sampled Isaac Hayes like crazy Jay-Z samples or his producer sample Isaac Hayes Outcast is heavily inspired by um, Isaac Hayes you can kind of see where kind of the roots of, of the music and I, right now I'm in very much that phase that was Arjun Chad from Get Familiar magazine Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. Meanwhile, please listen to the show again and previous episodes on monaco.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. It's ATB with I Don't Wanna Stop. The video for that song was shot at Stahlhaus. You've been listening to The Stack? I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.